0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan. Don't check your schedule, it is indeed Tuesday. And this is actually something that I broached last week on Twitter. I ran a little poll. I think I'm going to actually make the change now to have this show come out on Tuesdays instead of Mondays, which I know seems weird because it is a weekend box office show. But what it does do is it allows me maximum time on Monday to wait for all the numbers to come in because as late as I often wait for the numbers, other stuff comes in even after that. It also allows me to upload the show at a more optimal time instead of doing it at 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night. I can have it out first thing in the morning on Tuesdays, which is better algorithmically, etc. Uh, as far as YouTube goes and viewership and people that are online for the show. So this show will be on Tuesdays. The good thing is for things like four-day weekends uh, here in the United States, and I think a lot of our international viewers are very amused at how many four-day weekends we actually have. The show will always come out on Tuesdays, so we'll just have the four-day box office report like we usually would. And I'm toying with the fact of doing something short on Sundays anyway, something like a box office brief where I just kind of briefly go into the numbers and set up what we'll be talking about on charts so uh, mark your calendars from here on out at least for the foreseeable future charts will now be on Tuesday mornings instead of Monday nights and I think this will be better for the show it allows me more time to get it polished and I'm not quite as much uh, in a hurry etc maybe change it from a show that you listen to on your drive home from work to a show that you listen to or watch on your way to work don't watch it on your way to work watch the road. It was a sleepy weekend at the box office, and we knew it was going to be because it's all leading up to this week's release of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, one of the most unwieldy summer movie titles in quite some time. My review for it will be out on Thursday as of right now. I've got tickets to the first possible public screening of the movie on Thursday afternoon, so I'll have my non-spoiler review out there for you on Thursday evening. I know there's a lot of other ones that are going to come up before then, but hey, I can only do my review once I see the movie. Of course, I'll still be covering this weekend's box office, but later on in the show, I will also be making my predictions for the top 10 10- highest grossing summer movies of 2022. were already at this point. These will be domestic grosses, not worldwide grosses. Because with release dates, etc., that's just the easiest thing to do. But it was, it was a trickier job uh, than even some other years in the past, as far as figuring out what movies are going to be on my top 10, what am I going to leave off of my top 10. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Before I get to any of that, however, I want to thank my friends over at Carbon Health. If you've been watching the show, you know that we've been partners for quite some time, and it's because we kind of have a mutual belief in each other. They really like uh, the stuff here on the channel and the fact that we have uh, the kind of community that we've fostered here, and it's a growing community. Uh, but I also appreciate what they do, which is to make healthcare as accessible and affordable as possible. And with the recent news that there is a little bit of an uptick in cases here in the US, I know it's something that nobody wants to hear. I also wanted to mention that you can pick up some at-home antigen testing kits at any Carbon Health physical location. They're $19.99 for 2 tests, which I just bought some at a retail store this past weekend because I had an event that required a COVID test. And let me tell you, they're a lot more expensive than that in most places where you're going to buy them. If you don't know where your nearest Carbon Health location is, you can check the Carbon Health app. That'll give you a full list. And if you're in need of some at-home test kits for an affordable price, you can pick them up at any physical Carbon Health location. So thank you as always to Carbon Health for their partnership and sponsorship here on the show. So let's get to the box office as the rain starts to fall outside it may be a bit of a stormy charts with Dan so if we hear a little bit of rain lightning and thunder well, I guess you probably won't hear any lightning but you might see it um, you know that's just part of living in Arkansas but let's look at the weekend top five and it was pretty familiar because it was almost exactly last week's top five the bad guys had a pretty good hold of 32% that's kind of the family movie hold that we're more used to seeing it stays at number one with 16.2 million dollars Sonic the Hedgehog 2 continues to hold well It drops only 26% in its actual fourth week. I think I had it last week uh, as its fourth week there's some thunder. This was really week 4 for Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with $11.5 million Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore stays at number 3 with a 41% drop with $8.3 million. The Northman takes a 48% drop, not bad considering the cinema score that it got with $6.3 million. But really for me the story in this top 5 here is Everything Everywhere All at Once. It just goes to show you the power of word of mouth because Everything Everywhere All at Once was plus 2% from last weekend to re- enter the top five, which means it actually did more business in its sixth week than it did in its fifth week at the box office with $5.5 million. The last time that I could find that a movie actually increased in business uh, without a major theater or screen expansion was Raya and the Last Dragon last year. Of course, that was a much different theatrical marketplace. But it is very rare to see a movie that's already in wide release actually build on its performance from the previous week, and that just goes to show you that there really is something special about this film, and I'm glad that people are still talking about it, still discovering it. I think it went back into a few IMAX screens this past weekend, so that may be one reason why there was an uptick in business, but this is really one of those things from a box office sense. Is it gonna make $300 million? No, it's not, but I think it's a very fascinating story and The Weather does too, of how to track a movie over time, of release strategy. And I think a lot of people might be taking notes, although you really can't replicate the strategy of just having a really, really good movie. This is one of my favorite movies of the year. I think it will be when we get to the end of the year. One movie that did not open in the top five was the latest Liam Neeson film, Memory. It opened in eighth place with just over $3.1 million. That is about on par with Liam Neeson's pandemic era openings. And over time, he's actually seen a decline at the box office. These are some final domestic tasks for films starring Liam Neeson this is where he's the top credited star from 2009 to this year's Blacklight 2022 and you can see uh, Taken 145 million dollar uh, box office gross this was seen as kind of a career reinvention for him the A-Team made 77 million dollars so Then we had Unknown with 63.6 and The Grey with 51 but then the second Taken movie almost replicating the box office take of the first one non-stop with a 91.7 million dollar take but then A Walk Among the Two tombstones only grosses $26 million, it seems like maybe the bloom is off the rose with the Liam Neeson action renaissance, Taken 3, basically a $50 million lower gross from the previous Taken film, and then you can see Run All Night, The Commuter, Cold Pursuit, The Marksman, Blacklight. we have seen a decline, now of course you could say with The Marksman especially, well that's due to the pandemic, yes, but uh, these are also movies now that are playing in a full complement of theaters, and I think that audiences may just be getting tired of seeing Liam Neeson in these particular kinds of movies, something else that's probably not helping. It does appeal to an older demographic. Those have been the moviegoers generally that have been a little slower to return to theaters. We've seen some little trickles here and there of older skewing films, uh, but it just seems like it's a combination of a a bad time demographically with maybe this idea that we've kind of been there and seen that. I mean, I for one did not see Memory, but I would imagine that I'll have the option to see it uh, at home in the very near future. Let's look away from the wide releases and look at the top five films on a per theater basis, the per theater average. At number 1 opening in one theater was Gaspar Noé's new film Vortex with a $16,803 average. That's not good enough, quite good enough to go on the top 5 list for per theater averages for the year, but it is up there as one of the best. Something notable about this film that I didn't mention last week when I just mentioned that it was coming out uh, was that he is directing Dario Argento, uh, who is himself a very famous director. He did a lot of Italian horror films including Suspiria, which is a landmark in the genre. Uh, and so this This is a case of a director directing a director. Uh, Then at number two is a documentary called Fiddler's Journey to the Big Screen, which is a recounting of the the behind-the-scenes journey of Fiddler on the Roof from the Broadway stage to the big screen. At number three is a documentary called Hello Bookstore, which is about the fight for a local neighborhood bookstore to stay open during the pandemic. $6,000 playing in one theater, so our top three per theater averages all playing in just one theater. And then we have the bad guys with $4,000 per theater and Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with $3,000 per theater. Of course, the expectation is that this upcoming weekend, we're going to get a very high average from Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness in a very large number of theaters, which would equate to a very big opening weekend gross. Looking at films that were in 1,000 theaters or fewer, these would be the specialty box office or limited release films. The Indian film Acharya is at number one. It played in just under 400 theaters with $832,000, so it leads the limited release films uh, on the chart at least, but just kind of reading a little bit about what box office information I could find, I've seen that this film is actually considered a huge commercial flop uh, inside and outside of India based on what it costs, based on reaction. So this would kind of be the equivalent of one of our summer blockbusters really underperforming uh, to expectations uh, if we were looking in the Hollywood market. At number two is the holdover from last week, Ecomo SL, which made $300,000 in 325 theaters. At number three is a new film, Hatching, which I really, really dug. It didn't do great on a per theater basis, but it was also available uh, to uh, rent at home via premium video on demand day and date. It was able to make $120,000. The Duke, a holdover from last week, is at number four with $116,000. It had a big theater expansion. And then Céline Sciamma's Petite Maman stays on the chart. It expanded to 31 theaters and was able to do nearly $60,000 in its second week. So it was definitely a busier week at the specialty box office than last weekend. However, we don't have any change so far in our top 10 limited release grocers for 2022. It's the same movies with the same totals. BTS Permission to Dance at number one, followed by Cyrano. The Worst Person in the World, KGF Chapter 2, and the portion of Everything Everywhere All at Once is released when it was in limited release. Uma is at number 6, Radha Shyam at number 7, The 2022 Oscar Shorts at number 8, The Cashmere Files at number 9, and The Godfather 50th Anniversary at number 10. However, there are some movies that are kind of sniffing around that list, so I think we're going to see some change coming to that pretty soon. Looking at the weekend overall, we had a big dip from last week, and this was kind of a combination. When we look at how close it was to the 2021 box office on this same weekend last year, we had the simultaneous release of Godzilla vs Kong and Demon Slayer: Mugen Train, the movie here in the domestic market. So we had our biggest box office week, I think, in the post-pandemic or pandemic era uh, to that point, which is why you see this week's line getting so close to that orange line, but also a big reason why that blue line is so high is that this is the five-year average from 2015 to 2019, but this is also the weekend in consecutive years where Marvel released Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. So we were never going to reach that level. However, that is a massive disparity. The silver lining is that we're going to see, I think, a huge jump up this upcoming weekend. And if Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness performs to the upper end of expectations or projections, then we could actually see this green line Surpass the blue line uh, from the past five year average. I think the number to beat there is about $180 million. So it is certainly very possible. So we could see a massive jump in business. And, you know, I think that's what the studios knew was going to happen. They didn't put out anything other than the new Liam Neeson movie because I think they just wanted to steer clear completely of the new Doctor Strange film. So we could see a real turnaround in box office business. And we could actually see for only the second time this year, the 2022 box office beating the five year average. Here's a little snapshot to fold up and put in your wallet. This is the 2022 box office market share. These are all movie ticket sales year to date. And you see that little Disney Fox slice that says 5%. Well, that's going to be a lot bigger next week, depending on how Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness does. We could see Disney Fox picking up a 5 to 10% market share increase in just one week from that movie's opening. As it stands, Sony loses 1% box office market share Uh, as does MGM UA. Universal adds 1%, Paramount adds 1%, but Disney's going to be the big winner next week when we see these Doctor Strange grosses roll in. As we wrap out, though, the first four months of the year, uh, Paramount, WB, Sony, having a really, really strong start to the year, accounting for 71% of the total box office domestically for the entire year. So a great first third of the year for those films, but Disney, which has kind of been hibernating for most of the year, is going to awaken from its slumber this upcoming weekend. Let's turn our eyes outside of the domestic marketplace to the international films. These are all markets outside of the United States and Canada. Fantastic Beast, The Secrets of Dumbledore is number one yet again with $25.8 million followed by Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with $14.5 million. The Lost City still putting up some numbers internationally with $10.5 million. Downton Abbey, A New Era, which actually doesn't open here domestically for a few more weeks. It puts it into the summer movie season, had its opening in several international markets and including, I believe, the UK this past weekend, it brings in $9.2 million, and then The Bad Guys rounding out the top five with just under $9 million. When we take the international marketplace, we smash it up with the domestic one, we get the worldwide highest-grossing films. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore stays number one with $34.1 million. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, though, not far behind with $25.8 million, and The Bad Guys nipping at Sonic's heels with just over $25 million. The Lost City stays at number four with 14.4 million, and then the Northmen with its domestic gross gets it into the top five grossing films worldwide with just under $10.8 million. When we look at the box office domestically for 2022 as a whole, The Batman is very near the end of its theatrical run. It's currently the third highest grossing Batman film uh, just underneath the two films in the Nolan trilogy domestically, not worldwide, but it may get around $370 million and call it quits right around there. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 remains at number two with $161 million. We may well, see a new number two film this next week on the show. Uncharted is at number three. It's close to 150 million dollars domestic. The Lost City has really played well over these past several weeks. It's at 90.7 million dollars. I don't know if it's going to get to that 100 million dollar mark. It may, but it's going to be a little tough. Scream stays at number five with 81.6 million. Fantastic Beasts: The Secrets of Dumbledore is at number six with 79.5 million dollars. But the fact that it is in its third week and has yet to do what so many the other films in the Wizarding World franchise have done in their opening weekends really speaks to its relative weakness inside of the overall franchise. Morbius drops down one spot to number seven, Dog stays at number eight, Jackass Forever stays at number nine, and Death on the Nile, it will be its last weekend on the chart. I'm pretty confident that Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is going to make more than $45.6 million, so we will say goodbye to that film this upcoming week. Looking at the 2022 Worldwide box office, The Batman stays at number one with just under $765 million. The Battle at Lake Chungjin 2 is at number two, followed by Too Cool to Kill at number three and Uncharted just behind it at number four. We will see if Uncharted has about $3 million uh, left in the tank. I don't really know if it's still playing in a whole lot of markets. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, is up one spot to number five with $331.8 million. Keep in mind, however, it was a $200 million film, so we're looking at a minimum $400 million worldwide uh, for it to approach the break-even point. We'll see if it can get there. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 drops down one spot to number six, followed by Nice View at number seven, Morbius at number eight, Boonie Bears Back to Earth at number nine, and The Lost City uh, really having this box office longevity. It knocks Triple R out of the 2021 worldwide, top 10. It's at number 10 with $148.9 million. Again, probably uh, not not a hollow victory, but it's going to be off this chart next week because we're going to have Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness on this chart, even if it was just the domestic opening, I think it'd be on this chart. But still good for The Lost City, which has just sort of been plugging along uh, this whole spring movie season. When we look at the previous 365 days at the box office worldwide, so you take today's date, you wind it back 365 days, and this is the results of that chart. Spider-Man No Way Home stays number one. It'll probably be number one for a good part, if not the entire duration of its stay here on the chart with $1.8 billion, almost 1.9. The battle at Lake Chongjin is at number two, No Time to Die at three. If the Batman can muster just 10 million more dollars at the worldwide box office, it can surpass No Time to Die on the chart, although I don't know if it'll be at number three by that point. F9 getting very close to its final run on this chart with $726 million dollars. I don't know what in the hell is gonna be happening with Fast Ten and if you we'll see it on this kind of chart, but the franchise is still basking in the glow of a box office hit. The battle at Lake Changjin 2 at number six, Venom Let There Be Carnage is still at number seven, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings at number eight, Sing 2 at number nine, and too cool to kill at number 10. This is all gonna get shaken up because not only do we have Doctor Strange, we have all of the big summer releases coming up. So I think that this this chart is gonna look very different even uh four to six weeks from now than it does right now. And speaking of of the summer movie season we are at the cusp of it and i know that a lot of people are saying like wait a minute we're in the first weekend of May, how is this the beginning of the summer movie season? Well that's just how it is, I, I, I have no explanation, things kept getting pushed back, it used to start on Memorial Day, and then people started opening the week before Memorial Day, and the week before, and the week before, so I think the furthest people have been able to justify it back is that first weekend in May, but it's often what we call Marvel weekend because they've opened so many of their movies on this weekend, that's what we're getting this week with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And so it is time for me to pick the 10 highest grossing films, or at least my my best estimation of the 10 highest grossing films that I possibly can. Sometimes I get it right, sometimes I get it drastically wrong. I picked In the Heights and The Suicide Squad last year, for example, to be two of the top 10 grossing summer films. Uh, They were not, although uh, the HBO Max thing certainly did not help with those projections. We don't have any day and date streaming things happening right now that might take people out of theaters for that reason, but this is still a very difficult year as far as which movies am I going to pick, which movies am I going to leave out usually the top five or six are pretty easy it's that seven through ten where you can really win some championships so after a lot of back and forth and a lot of uh, deliberation and you know maybe a coin toss or two these are my picks for the 10 highest grossing films of summer 2022 and my number 10 pick is also the movie that I have the least confidence in and that is Baz Luhrmann's biopic of Elvis which I acknowledge could be a complete disaster we don't know if Austin Butler is going to be good in this role I don't know what the hell tom hanks is doing he looks like a mike myers character tragedy but it has nothing to do with us it has everything to do with us I'm really just kind of gambling here because I think that it is either going to really work or be an absolute garbage fire. And I don't know which one it's going to be at this point, but I think that if it works, it could actually bring some people into the theater, especially if the performances are really good. Uh, Music biopics can bring in uh, an audience, although Elvis is a little bit of an older star, even when looking at somebody like Freddie Mercury with how well Bohemian Rhapsody did. I'm not expecting this movie necessarily to be on the top 10, but looking at all of my different options, this is the one that I decided to take the biggest gamble on. So Elvis is my number 10 movie. My number nine movie is a little bit less risky. It's an action film. It's got some room to play, particularly through the month of August, and that is Bullet Train, which is directed by David Leitch. And when you look at David Leitch, he pulled in $50 million back in 2017 from the film Atomic Blonde, which had some great stars in it like Charlize Theron and James McAvoy. But I think this movie has an even more stacked cast. You have Brad Pitt, you have a great ensemble, including Brian Tyree Henry, and Aaron Taylor Johnson, Bad Bunny's in this movie, Andrew Koji's in this movie. I think that you're going to reach a lot of different target demographics, a lot of different markets. The trailer looks really fun. I just think this is a movie that, if it works, could really be that late summer hit that could find its way onto the chart. So I didn't put it too high, but I put it at number nine. And these, by the way, are in order of how much I think that they're going to gross. So I am picking Bullet Train to be the ninth highest grossing movie of summer 2022. At number eight, and maybe even too low, is the latest from Jordan Peele which is nope. Jordan Peele is a brand name on his own. The only reason that I didn't have this movie higher is because this is the first time he's really competing in that summer movie season. Get Out and Us had nearly identical performances at the box office, $175 million, and when you look at Jordan Peele, his name attached to Candyman last year uh, really helped to make that film one of the top 10 films of the summer. Now, Nia DaCosta, I think, did a great job with that movie. I was a big fan of it, but I think that Jordan Peele helped to get that name recognition with him on board as a producer. Here, he is directing the film, he's writing the film, and I think that there's an extra amount of buzz that goes with that, so I'm picking Nope at number eight. At number seven, every year, i give dwayne the rock johnson a chance to completely screw me over on my summer movie list by either picking or not picking one of his films last year i got lucky that i picked jungle cruise it was a backup pick uh, but it it did end up being one of the 10 highest grossing movies of the summer this year i'm picking one that he has a voice appearance in which is dc league of super pets what do i have here <gasps> spicy bruce It is the only DC project left on the slate this summer, which given the recent headlines off screen, maybe isn't such a bad thing. It's a superstar cast, it's a fun premise, it's animated, it has animals, which even when you don't attach things like the DC name to it, are often a big draw, especially for kids. I think you're going to get some of that superhero, older superhero audience, so I think it's a somewhat safe pick for a top 10 movie, but you never know. There's so many times where you think an animated film is going to do well, and it just doesn't. However, I'm going to take another chance on The Rock, and I'm picking DC League of Super Pets at number seven. At number six is a movie that I probably have too low, but my own conscience just can't let me pick it any higher, and that is (sighs) Minions, The Rise of Gru. Yes, I think I am probably underestimating how it's going to do. I'm happy to bet low on Minions, but this is not just out of spite. The original film in 2015 did $336 million, yes, but that was seven years ago. A lot of those kids have grown up. When you look at Despicable Me, it had a big drop-off from both the performance of Minions and especially the performance of the second Despicable Me movie. So I don't think it's without precedent for me to say that the Minions may have a decreased box office presence, but I would be stupid not to put it in my my top 10, but really also, I'm also betting on the strength of my top 5 movies, and not necessarily the weakness of Minions here, so uh, it is with uh, great regret that I put Minions the Rise of Gru on my list at number 6, with the acknowledgement that it may very well be higher. My number 5 film is one that I actually might have put a little bit lower if I'd done this even a couple weeks ago, and that's Top Gun Maverick. It's really tough because these 80s movies, these revivals, you never quite know, well, how much cachet do they have with the modern audience? but the hype on this thing has been a uh, white hot for quite some time. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. I just want to manage the expectations. If this movie can tap into what made the original movie such a big success, and it sounds like maybe it was able to, then we could see this movie perform very well. It also already has that element of you have to see it on a big screen with the practical flying and the stunts, et cetera, like just about every Tom Cruise movie. So I'm picking Top Gun Maverick at number five. Of all of the movies on this list, I would not be surprised at an under or over performance given all of the X factors with this particular film. At number four, I'm picking Lightyear from Pixar, and I actually am pulling back a little bit on this one because I think it's a bit of a tough idea to communicate to people. I think that there's going to be a lot of people that show up expecting to see the Tim Allen character from Toy Story, even though they're trying to explain, well, it's not about Buzz Lightyear from the Toy Story movies, it's about... The character in-universe that Buzz Lightyear would have been based on, which I think is a very difficult concept to explain, and I think there's going to be some audience confusion that might affect word of mouth. Of course, it could be a fantastic movie. I'm picking it at number four. It's not like I'm picking it outside the top ten. But the other thing to think about with Pixar is this is the first time that they're in theaters since... Pre-pandemic, since onward, they've had three films that have all gone straight to Disney+. And even when you look at a movie like Encanto, which is a massively successful movie that really didn't tap into that success until it was streaming on Disney+. Plus, The question that you have to ask with Disney's animated stuff, and this extends to Pixar, is to what degree are audiences now trained to wait to see These movies on Disney Plus. I don't think that's going to keep a lot of people out of the theaters. It's one of the safest bets you can make if you're doing something with Pixar is to go with the original Toy Story franchise. But I'm not quite pulling back and putting it as high as some people because there are some factors that give me a little bit of pause with this movie to say it might only make a buttload of money instead of a boatload of money. At number three is Thor Love and Thunder. Some people have this at number one or at number two. Thor Ragnarok was a big reinvention of the franchise. It did about $315 million. I think this one may do less than that, but I still think that it's going to do well. There's always the question when you make these big story changes for multiple characters, some people are going to be on board with it, some people aren't going to be on board with it. And also the fact that this seems a little less connected to the big mega thread in the MCU right now. Are there going to be people that say like, well, you know, uh, I'll, I'll wait three months now to see it at home Uh, I don't know if it's got that same like you have to see it or you're going to get spoiled vibe that we get from Doctor Strange for example right now so it's really not me saying that I don't think it's going to be a good movie it's just not one that I'm picking to be the number one movie of the summer I still think it's going to do quite well because people love Chris Hemsworth they love Taika Waititi's take on this franchise uh, and it very well could be that this is the most successful Thor movie of them all we'll just have to wait and see at number two is a movie that, again, I might have put lower, especially based on previous franchise performance, and that is Jurassic World Dominion. If you know me, you know that I have not been a fan of really either of these two revived movies, but Universal is doing a few things that I think are very smart here. Number one, they're leaning into the idea of this is the end. This is the end of the Jurassic story, which uh, can really help to bring people into a theater to know, like, oh, it's not just another sequel. They're actually, maybe, we'll see. I, I kind of believe in my guess going to end the story you also have bringing back the original cast they've all been brought back piecemeal Goldblum was in Lost World and he was in a little bit of the last one Sam Neill was in three with a little bit of Laura Dern in there but the idea of bringing them all back they're together they're apparently running from dinosaurs and fighting dinosaurs you're gonna tap into that nostalgia for a lot of people in a way that the first Jurassic World did that I think might overwhelm any skepticism from folks like me who maybe weren't impressed by the last two movies and there's also the idea of what if this movie's really great? And I've always said this, I would love nothing more than for another incredible Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World movie to exist. And I think that if they're able to nail this and really make this a satisfying movie and bring this home, bring all these characters back in a way that's very satisfying, that we could be looking at a number one grocer. But given the history of these movies and the fact that they haven't really been my cup of tea creatively, we also saw a drop off from Jurassic World to Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom I'm putting Jurassic World Dominion at number two, with the caveat that if it's great, I could easily see it being number one. You made a promise to a dinosaur. Yeah, Why? Which leaves one movie for my number one pick, and it's a pretty familiar one because it's the one that's coming out this weekend, and that's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Really, all of these movies are gonna make a lot of money. What I'm going with here is it's coming off the hot hand. It's coming off Spider-Man No Way Home, a massive financial success. They're setting up very effectively that this story leads directly out of this movie. You basically set up the beginning of it by having Doctor Strange in Spider-Man No Way Home. I mean, that is an $800 million movie that you have in Spider-Man No Way Home. If you get half of that audience, then you have a $400 million domestic gross, which is easily enough to make you the number one movie of the summer. Really, this is a crapshoot, but I'm playing it a little safe here, and I think this is going to be perhaps a little front-loaded, but the huge surge of people that I think are going to show up just on Weekend One one tops any of these other films. I think it's very likely to be the number one opening weekend of the summer, even if it's not the number one film of the summer. So it's my pick for number one. But really, at this point, you can just shuffle a lot of these different movies, and it always does come down to quality. That's the big X factor here that nobody knows. Now, there were a lot of other movies that I considered for putting on this top 10 list. We have Downton Abbey, a new era. It has a very passionate fan base, but it skews a little bit older, which has been tough to get a turnout for. So I could see this being a shorter window theatrical release that heads to Peacock where it gets a lot of those eyeballs that went to see the original Downton Abbey film just a few years ago. But with that I will say goodnight and leave you to discuss my mysterious past. There's an Ethan Hawke horror film called The Black Phone which has been getting great buzz. If it can tap into an audience in the way that The Conjuring films have done you could possibly see it on the top 10 but it is a lower budget horror film. Usually they have a ceiling. Even Candyman last year was a bit of a beneficiary the fact that it was a very unconventional summer, there were things that were pushed, and as I mentioned, we had the HBO Max thing, I think that helped Candyman make it into that summer top 10. Uh, so the Black Phone is a possibility, but I'd say an outside possibility. There's an animated film called Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank. It's from Paramount and Nickelodeon. It's cute animals. It's animation. You never know what's going to happen. You could have a secret life of pets situation where it just is able to hit. The Bob's Burgers movie. I see it having a short theatrical window. There is a passionate fan base. If you turn out that fan base plus, uh, you never know strange things can happen. But I just don't quite think it's going to have enough to make it into that top 10. And then I've got a sleeper pick for you. And it's something that uh, nobody's really seen anything about. And the only reason that I didn't really roll the dice is because we live in the era where we live in, where movies can be sent to streaming or pushed at a moment's notice. This is currently slated for an August release, but it's a movie called Secret Headquarters. It's directed by Henry Joost and Ariel Shulman, who did Project Power. It stars Michael Pena and Owen Wilson and Walker Scobell, who I thought was great in uh, The Adam Project with Ryan Reynolds, which hit Netflix earlier this year. It's about a kid who thinks his dad is a superhero. He finds a lair underneath the house. Jerry Bruckheimer is producing the movie. I haven't seen anything from it, nobody's really talking about it, but it has that first weekend in August release date, which is where Free Guy did so well this past summer. So I think if it's a movie that hits, if it can feed into that family market but also transition, kind of like Free Guy did, a little bit to that older market through these superhero tie-ins like Free Guy did with the video game tie-ins, then I could see this being a super sleeper hit for a top 10 summer movie, particularly because it has all of August to play around with. In any other summer, I might have actually said, you know what, I'm really going to make a bold choice here and pick Secret Headquarters for my top 10 list. However, I have no confidence that it's actually going to come out or that it's not going to get sent to Paramount Plus or one of the other streaming services, so I did not pick it. I may regret that at the end of the year, but if you want to look like a smart person and pick something that nobody else has on their list, then maybe check out Secret Headquarters. So those are my picks for the 2022 Summer Box Office Top 10. Elvis at number 10, Bullet Train at number 9. Nope at number 8, DC League of Super Pets at number 7, Minions the Rise of Gru at number 6, Top Gun Maverick at number 5, Lightyear at number 4, Thor Love and Thunder at number 3, Jurassic World Dominion at number 2, and the movie opening this weekend, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness riding that Spider-Man No Way Home hot hand all the way to number 1. Before we continue, I want to take just a moment to thank the sponsor of today's show, Athletic Greens. You know, tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, but it is really important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. One of the things that it does focus on is gut health, which is a focus for me, as I'm kind of looking at 2022 as a self-improvement year. But the great thing about Athletic Greens is it has so many different ingredients that do so many great things for you and for your body. And it's not just full of vitamins and minerals. It also tastes great, which is especially good because Athletic Greens is lifestyle-friendly and contains less than 1 gram of sugar, no GMOs, no artificial anything, while maintaining that same great taste. I would love for you to give Athletic Greens a try and to make it easy. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, very important during this cold and flu season, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Dan. Again, that is athleticgreens.com D-A-N to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring today's show. Before we get to the streaming charts, I always like to do a box office flashback to a previous weekend in box office history, and I mentioned the difficulties that Fast 10 has been having. It has lost its director. It seems like they may have found a replacement director. There's reports of potential issues with Vin Diesel. Let's go back to some happier times in the Fast franchise. As a matter of fact, let's go to half of where we are now, and that would be for the weekend of April 29th to May 1st, 2011. Fast Five, the rejuvenation of the Fast franchise when The Rock came uh, to play in Vin Diesel's before leaving 86.1 million dollars in its opening weekend if you adjusted that for inflation i believe it would be over 100 million dollars and it really was the first quote-unquote modern fast film that delivered what we're seeing today week three of rio was still pulling in impressive numbers with 14.7 million dollars the second weekend of medea's big happy family from tyler perry in its second weekend 9.8 million dollars in number three Water for Elephants starring Reese Witherspoon and Robert Pattinson in its second week was at number four with $9.3 million. And then at number five, a Disney live-action film called Prom opening to try to, I guess, take advantage of prom season. Didn't quite make it to number one but a $4.7 million opening still in the top five. Hard to believe though, 11 years ago, we are as far away from the rejuvenation of the Fast franchise as the Fast franchise was from its origins when Fast Five came out, a little bit farther actually. So we've really spent more time with the modern version of the Fast movies than we did with the four previous ones. And you know, we'll see if this Fast 10 is actually the last one or if Vin Diesel just I think Vin Diesel is just going to keep making him alone in his dressing room or trailer uh, just forever. He'll just write scripts and record it himself. I might actually be more interested in those. Before we wrap up, let's see, as always, what people are watching at home, or at least get an idea of it, and we start by looking at what people are renting over on iTunes. At number one is Uncharted, which took advantage of a more conventional theatrical window. It's currently only available for purchase, but that did not keep it out of the number one slot. Tom Holland has the movie in the number two slot as well, with Spider-Man No Way Home, available for both purchase and rental. Moonfall, available for purchase and rental, is at number three. Not a great movie, but, you know, you can watch it. And with a shorter theatrical window than any of the films above at the number four spot you can buy that film or watch it premium video on demand those are the higher price rentals sing 2 stays in the top five the batman drops to number six i think a lot of people choosing probably to watch that on hbo max dog is at number seven jackass forever is at number eight infinite is at number nine and marry me is at number 10 those are all holdovers from last week Let's look at the 10 most watched programs on Netflix, and these are using my mural metrics. This is basically a number that judges what the potential finished views of a movie or TV series would be to kind of put them on more even footing. At number one is the Netflix series, Anatomy of a Scandal, with 16.9 million uh, potential finished views. At number two, Conversations with a Killer, taking on John Wayne Gacy, a new entry to the chart with 12.3 million potential finished views. These are global numbers, by the way. At number three is The In-Between, with a PFV number of 6.9, followed by White Hot, The Rise of Abercrombie & Fitch. This is a documentary that I very much want to see with a potential finished view number of 6.74. I don't think I was even allowed to look at the outside of an Abercrombie & Fitch store when I was in high school, so I very much want to see this movie. The Mark Tartt Season 1, a Netflix series, is at number 5 with 6.72 million potential finished views, followed by A Score to Subtle, the only non-Netflix movie or TV show, at number 6, Bridgerton Season 2 at number 7, The Taming of the Shrewd, a Netflix movie, at number 8. The Netflix original series Selling Sunset in its fifth season, with a potential finished view number of 4.5 million, enters the charts at number 9. And the Netflix movie How It Ends enters the charts with a PFV number of 4.4. And to wrap it up, as we started doing last week, I'm looking at Nielsen's ratings for overall streaming, at least for the services that opt to participate. HBO Max, notably, does not, along with some other streaming services. But it kind of gives us a broader view of what people are actually watching, uh, not just through rental and on Netflix, but also through these different streaming services. Now, there is a delay on reporting these numbers, unfortunately, so this is for the week of March 28th through April 3rd. So going back about three weeks, but I try to contextualize the movies and tv shows that we see on this chart and let's look first at the top 10 most watched streaming movies these are in the united states with a minimum view of two plus minutes in the most watched streaming movie for the week of march twenty eighth through april 3rd with 12.4 million hours watched in its 13th week of release just going to show how much of a phenomenon that movie has been for disney plus on streaming, Turning Red in its fourth week of release, the second most watched streaming movie that Nielsen was able to measure with 10.8 million hours watched, The Adam Project remaining a popular choice in its fourth week with 7.9 million hours watched, outdoing the first week of another much hyped Netflix uh, project, The Bubble from director Judd Apatow. It was actually competitive with Sing 2 on Amazon, which is not available for free. So this just goes to show you how popular this film is. Universal really able to tap into the best of theatrical and home distribution for Sing 2. At number 6, Shrek Forever After on Netflix with just over 4 million hours watched, followed by Moana on Disney Plus in its 122nd week of release. Another library title that's very popular for Disney. Shrek on Netflix at number 8, so the Shrek franchise doing well for Netflix when they have the rights to it. Trust No One, which is the hunt for the Crypto King from Netflix in its first week was at number 9. And then the Disney Plus remake of cheaper by the dozen in its third week holding on to that number 10 spot and finally when we look at the 10 most watched series on streaming there's an interesting caveat here when we get to the end of the list bridgerton was number one across all seasons followed by the last kingdom at number two ncis at number three coco melon with 10.5 million hours watched one of the most watched streaming shows in the united states Is It Cake? Also on Netflix at number five. Criminal Minds on Netflix at number six. Heartland on Netflix at number seven. That's a new entry to the chart. Inventing Anna on Netflix at number eight. Good Girls on Netflix at number nine. And then at number 10 on Disney Plus, the only non-Netflix show to make this chart is Moon Knight with nearly seven million hours watched. Now, the thing to note about this is that this is measured by hours watched all of the rest of these shows had multiple seasons and multiple episodes available to watch. This number for Moon Knight is only inclusive of the first episodes. So while all of these shows were putting up numbers with many different seasons uh, and many different episodes, Moon Knight was able to draw enough viewers with just one episode to make this top ten list, which just goes to show the strengths of these MCU shows as they stream on Disney+. Plus. It'll be interesting for me to track because as we go into these next weeks, we'll be getting deeper into Moon Knight's run. Does it continue to climb up the charts as people watch the first episode and the second episode and then the third because it has that weekly release structure? So that's one to keep in eye on Uh, if Moon Knight will stay here on this chart, but pretty impressive that it can make it just off of the power of one episode. And that wraps it up for this week. Next week, of course, we will be talking about the movie that is on everyone's lips. And I'm speaking, of course, of the Netflix version of Marmaduke, which will be releasing this weekend. But also in theaters is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, the only film hitting wide release this weekend, and probably the one that's going to account for More than the lion's share of the business. It's actually a big Marvel week, uh, both for Marvel uh, and here on the channel. I will be doing my review of Moon Knight, the series season, the finale definitely, that's coming up. That'll be out early on Wednesday morning. I'll also be doing my review of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I'll be seeing that on Thursday afternoon, unless I'm able to uh, go into some multiverse that gets me into an earlier screening. Uh, But more than likely, you'll see my review on Thursday night. Non-spoiler review, then coming up this weekend that will be my spoiler review for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So a big week as we kick off the summer movie season, get the next big chapter in the MCU. Thank you so much for watching me here on Charts with Dan on our new day. Mark your calendars for Tuesday mornings. If you want to see even more of what I Up to, you can check me out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dan Merle. And of course, stay tuned right here on the channel for a very eventful week. I am going to thank my partners at Carbon Health. I also want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring today's show. But most of all, I want to thank you for watching. I'll be back very soon. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Bye.